You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Uh, one of our topics these days is StarCore International Mines, trading on the TSX. They have two projects in Mexico. One is a producing gold mine, profitable, operating for 30 years. Small mine, 10,000 ounces of gold, but it's generating $8 million in um, operating profits. And then they have a second project, a large copper molly project, advanced stage as well, which is an after-tax NPV of over $400 million US. But the best part of this company is that its market cap is $10 million Canadian, and they have cash of $10 million. Hey guys, this is Brian Lenny of Money Stock Education and JuniorStockReview.com. Today I have with me Sid Raji of Fundamental Research Corp. Sid, it's great to have you. Since you're new to the show, could you start off by giving everyone an intro into who you are and what you cover in your newsletter? Absolutely. So Brian, first of all, thank you for having me in your show. Yeah, so my name is Sid Rajiv. I'm the head of research at Fundamental Research Corp. Uh, we're based in Vancouver. We've been around for 20 years. This is our 20th year. What we do is we do independent equity research on a wide range of sectors, uh, mining, tech, real estate, you know, cannabis, cryptos, you name it. We cover them. And I mentioned uh, we, we have covered 650 companies in the past. Uh, what we do is we independently analyze the company and then we put a valuation at the end of the each report. So that allows uh, an investor uh, looking at the company to take the report, quickly glance through the report, get a feel of what the company is about, look at our projections, and use that as a tool to make a decision on whether to follow the company or invest in the company. But our report is a, it becomes a good tool prior to making a decision on a company. But when I meant, um, I want to talk about the independent aspect. I mentioned largest independent research shop, but uh, how we operate is that we are like auditors. So we get paid a flat fee upfront in cash, paid by in, uh, the companies or investors. So they hire us, they give us the full amount, a fee upfront. That allows us to be more independent uh, because we are not allowed to invest in any other companies we cover. No backend fees, no banking, pure research firm. Uh, the idea is that would allow us to be more independent than, say, you know, other types of research you see up there. Um, so that brings up a good question then, you know, in terms of doing a report and having an evaluation on a company, does that focus you in on, let's say, and I, I'm going to make all these questions focused on the resource sector. So the mining, that's what most people are interested in that yeah, are sure. watching the show. Yes. So, you know, does this uh, make you look at just development companies or producing companies, some things that have resources? Because obviously the exploration companies, it's a little bit more ambiguous on how you come up with evaluation. So are you focused just on that one end then? Well, actually, uh, on the contrary, our focus is actually microcaps, companies that are underexposed, unknown in the market. We started off 20 years ago uh, being the, you know, looking at very small companies because those companies did not have analyst coverage. The street was not talking about them. So we came in, produced independent research on them to get them more exposure. And then we slowly started looking at bigger companies. And then right now, I would say 75% of our companies are have market caps less than 100 million, very early stage. A few of them, uh, maybe 10% less than 10 million market cap even. So we covered the entire spectrum, but I would say micro cap is our sweet spot. 
so just within that microscopes uh, space, you have companies that have existing resources, whether it's like a million ounces in the ground or, you know, a um, hundred million pounds of copper. There's definitely a way that you can differentiate between those companies and come up with a valuation. So how do you do it with exploration companies that really don't have anything in the ground? And really it's the people and the property and, you know, the hope of something. How do you put a valuation on exploration? Yeah. So we are, we have the line of thought that every asset has some value uh, attached to it. Be it zero, it, it has some value. So our goal as analysts is to assign a fair value estimate based on best of information out there. So for early stage companies with no resource estimate, uh, what we do is we look at historic work done on the property, be it uh, drilling or some other kind of work. We have uh, geologists in-house. So geologists and financial analysts work together and we come up with a speculative resource estimate or a speculative estimate. Uh, but it's it's going to be very preliminary, very uh, as a, very speculative as I mentioned. But we try to assign a target tonnage or you know grades and contain ounces or pounds depending on the metal uh, based on historic work, and then based on valuation on that. And then when the company does more drilling, we kind of tweak our resources or estimates to you know be, be it up and down. So it's a analyst coverage is an ongoing process. Uh, they say that you, as an analyst, you need to be covering a company 24-7. So anytime some new development happens, we have to go back, tweak our models, write a report on it, and inform the market on what we think, and then revise our estimates and valuation. That's a great way to do it. So, you know, speak, like how you've you've modeled the, the business, you don't really have a sector or a metal or anything that you're focused on, per se. Is that correct? Yes. So we across the board... I, I would say when you know some commodities or metals become attractive in some markets, some some periods, that time we tend to cover those companies more. So it's kind of seasonal. Gold, silver, and you know precious metals and base metals have always been in our coverage list. But EV metals, as you can imagine, is brand new. We used to cover a lot of rare earth elements back in the day, but not that many. So it's, so it's market dependent. Yeah, we do cover across the board all kinds of metals. Is there anything in particular you're interested in or you, you're particularly bullish on, even though you're you're not uh, focused on it, but is there anything that you're, you you like? Yeah, so we kind of try to catch trends before it's mainstream. So as analysts, again, we keep a track of, you know, sector news, look at uh, what's going to be in demand in the long term and try to seek out those kind of companies and then initiate coverage on them. Uh, the idea is by doing this, we can differentiate from other research analysts out there and then bring, you know, all those underexposed stories to our subscriber list, which includes both institutions and retail investors. Over the, my course of my career, I've had wins and losses. I think the best learning experiences, while it may not have seemed like it in the time, were those times that I've lost money. Do you have any stories or do you have any situation where you could tell us about where what you thought was going to happen with the company didn't happen and what you may have learned from that? Yeah, no, several times. <laughs> that's because that's how I probably kind of, you know, some people say you kind of learn a lot from the mistakes you've made in the past. So one of our biggest mistakes or mine biggest mistakes, I would say was back in 2011, I think it was the Fukushima nuclear accident, uh, uranium. Uranium stocks tanked the day after. And then us being bullish on uranium, we kind of recommended uh, uranium stocks. And I personally invested heavily in uranium companies too. 
but that it didn't materialize. You know, over the year uh, after the Fukushima accident, the stocks kept going down, and the sector was kind of dead for many years after that until recently. But uh, I never knew it was going to take that long. But then in the end, it uh, it picked up, and then now it's doing very well. But so that I would say was one of our biggest or my biggest or bad calls, I would say. But then over the years, I've had um, a few of them as well. But uh, I'm glad that our overall performance in the last 20 years have significantly outperformed the benchmark. When I say that, you might need a disclaimer here. <laughs> Past performance is not indicated future. But uh, what we do for our subscribers is, you know, we cover more than 100 companies at a, at a given point. Uh, from those 100 companies, we select some companies that we have high conviction on. We put them in our top picks list. And we track the performance of our top picks, and they have significantly outperformed our the benchmark. Like for example, on average, you know, our top picks have are up about fifty nine percent since we initiated coverage. And then when you look at the same time period for the benchmark, which is the TSX Venture, which is down thirty one percent. So uh, that's one reason why subscribers have been coming to us is that our top picks have been performing well. But that said, several of our top picks have not performed well. But overall, as a portfolio, it has uh, overperformed. So let's go back to the, this talk about uranium. And so, you know, I, that's definitely a lesson I've learned myself. Like I've been bullish on certain metals, especially earlier on in my career as an investor. And I, I definitely paid the price for being overly bullish or trying to be contrary in the market. So what is the exact, what lesson did you learn or how do you protect yourself in the future from making that same mistake you know you have a let's not necessarily a fukushima but let's say you have an event in the future that affects uranium or affects lithium or affects gold and the price comes back and it looks like a good opportunity so how do you protect yourself well two things i learned from that is number one don't jump into conclusions uh, based, <laughs> and don't think based on emotions because right. uh, um one nice thing with the metals market commodities market is uh, unlike most of the sectors it's very simple if you look at, if you approach it purely based on uh, the fundamentals, supply and demand. There should not be, you should kind of ignore all the other noise that goes around in the metal. Just look at the supply forecast, just look at the demand forecast. Are you expecting a supply deficit or a supply surplus? That will give you a direction of the metal prices going forward, number one. Number two is kind of trying to time a market. It's almost impossible um, to time markets, even the experts say that. So, you know, when you come up with a conclusion or an idea, maybe say gold, let's say gold is expected to do well, it's very difficult to time and say when gold is going to as bottom or when is gold has peaked. But if you believe in your thesis, stay in there for long term, at some point over the, you know, maybe months or years, your you know thesis will work out. So I think the, those two things. One is don't jump into conclusions. Don't think with emotions. And second thing is don't time. Uh, if you believe in your you know thesis, uh, stick to it for the long term. Oh, that's sage advice. That's sage advice. Yeah. After dismal 2022, uh, the resource sector sentiment seems to have picked up in the last month or so. I don't know if you agree. My question is, do you think it's real? And do you think it'll continue in 2023? Well, um, I kind of have mixed feelings for this year. So as I mentioned, we cover all different sectors. But uh, in terms of if you're asking for my outlook on the big picture, we are bullish on precious metals, gold and silver, uh, but not so much for base metals or EV metals. 
Uh, again, going back to my previous comments, supply demand, most of the base metals and EV metals are expected to be in a supply surplus markets, or uh, if they are in a supply deficit, the deficit is shrinking. And these two scenarios mean are not good for prices. So we are expecting correction in base metals and EV metal prices, but very bullish on gold. A lot of reasons, uh, if you want me to walk through them, I can do it, but then... Uh, well, give me your, give me your biggest reason why you think precious metals is going to go forward higher. Well, number one catalyst would be, I think the Fed is likely to turn less hawkish in the coming months, slower GDP growth, inflation has started to taper. I feel unemployment is expected will go up during the pandemic. Almost 3 million people in the U.S. left the workforce. Labor participation rate is very low. So when these guys eat into the burnings, I mean savings, they're going to join the rejoin the market, uh, labor force market, and that's a result in higher unemployment. So these factors should prompt the Fed to turn less hawkish, and that is good for gold prices. What about geopolitics? Do geopolitics, you know, the the Russian-Ukraine conflict, obviously probably being arguably the biggest one right now. You- so you asked me for the biggest uh, reason, but that was that's my second reason. Second reason is geopolitical risk. Okay. Uh, you know, when Russia you you invaded Ukraine in February of last year, gold prices were up from eighteen hundred to twenty two thousand fifty, two hundred fifty dollars uh, increase in just one month. So and then historically, gold has always been nice when there's there are geopolitical tensions. So and we expect a prolonged period of tensions between the West and the East. So any bit of uncertainty or global risk that should spike gold prices. And the third reason for gold is rising production cost. Uh, production cost is up 13% in the last year when gold was up only up seven eight percent. Prices are not rising with production costs. So. A lot of factors to drive um, gold prices. One thing we do to forecast gold is we look at money supply, U.S. M2 money supply and gold. The relationship between those two have been very strong in the past 30 years. And if you look at those two relationships, we feel gold should be in the 2000 to 2050 range, around range this year. So, you know, external risks for all intents and purposes are uncontrollable, yet usually the risk that's most often thought of. With that in mind, does it make more sense for investors to concentrate on which that of which they can control, you know, that being themselves? You mean in terms of macro? Um, well, just, you know, in the, in the you know, every, what we all discuss is usually external stuff where it's geopolitics, it's metals, markets, supply and demand. It's all these things that investors really can't control, yet it seems to be the the, con- the concentration. So my question is, you know, all those are external. Since you can't control them, does it make more sense at, like at this period in time to maybe look on themselves and how they can be better uh, as an investor, you know, because it, just in my experience, most of the mistakes I've made or all of my mistakes have been my own mistakes. And no. to me, that's, it's one of the first things that comes to mind. And I just wondered if it, what you think. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's good to cut down investing investments and increase investments depending on the market. But I always feel that you have to be exposed to the markets at all times, but in different degrees. If you're expecting a market collapse, well, you still need to be exposed to capitalize on that. In terms of when it comes to junior resource, I am still a strong believer of following strong management teams. I know everyone says that, but that really does work. I mean, the probability of success is much higher. Even if you have no idea what the, pro- the company is doing, what the target commodity is, but if you're following a successful management team, the probability is much higher. You know, if anything happens to the market, anything happens to the project, we can 
be assured that the management team will go and seek a new project, you know, do something to make sure the investments are fine. You know, all and most is management have skin in the game. Uh, so they have incent- they are well incentivized to protect your investment. So to going back to your question, I think at all times you one needs to be exposed, but different varying degrees. Uh, this week we saw some really exciting news out of the M and A uh, side of of the resource sector with Newmont um, looking to acquire Newcrest. I was wondering if you had an opinion on the deal and whether you think it might prompt other senior miners um, to to look at M and A too. Yeah, so Newmont's uh, Newcrest deal was not, it was not a big surprise. Uh, Newmont being a forty billion dollar market cap company is much smaller than Newcrest. I think it's fourteen fifteen billion. The seventeen billion dollar acquisition. The market didn't like it at all. Uh, Newmont shares were down 10%, I think. Newcrest shares were up. And that's an indication that the market thinks Newmont is overpaying. And uh, I feel the same. When you look at the $17 billion multiple acquisition, that is about 30% premium over the sector average multiples, like the enterprise value to revenue or EV to EBITDA. I think Newmont is overpaying and the market reacted right, correctly. But this is the second biggest acquisition in the past few months. As you know, Pan American is acquiring uh, Yamana for $5 billion. And these are indications that the mining sector believes that the sector is oversold. So I, I, I feel that more M&A uh, is to come this year. Okay, yeah, because you know it's it's really been the mark or the hallmark of of a, of a great market is when that M and A heats up, and really for a lot of these juniors, it seems to be you know the best way out or investors to make that profit um, and get out of that position. Um, I've looked at a lot of junior companies over the course of my career, and one thing that stood out to me is that the market often values um, expiration companies sometimes higher than development companies, even though they have no tangible stuff in the ground. Um, So in your view, why does the market value hope more than reality? And second, does this phenomenon have any influence on how you buy and sell in the market? Yeah, so I think I I have mixed feelings on that. Right now, I mean, juniors have been underloved by the market for more than a year, even though we are seeing, you know, gold is at $1,900, Copper over $4. These are phenomenal numbers when you compare to historic average metal prices. But juniors have not followed. So juniors are not getting any love at all. But in terms of what you are saying, multiples, yes, juniors sometimes do get higher multiples. And it's two reasons. Number one is it's dominated by speculative investors. They tend to be more optimistic than um, you know pessimistic. So they tend to you know apply that kind of, uh, those premiums to that. Number two is always the growth potential. Similar to what we see in tech companies, why is Tesla trading at such a high multiple versus Toyota or Volkswagen or other companies? It's, it's all the earnings growth potential. Similarly, resource companies or early stage resource companies are trading in multiples, higher multiples because of the market's expected resource growth for those companies. Um, do you have a top pick that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so, so several. Since we talked about gold, one of our topics these days is StarCore International Mines. They're trading on the TSX. They have two projects in Mexico. One is a producing gold mine, profitable, operating for 30 years. Small mine, 10,000 ounces of gold, but it's generating $8 million in um, operating profits. And then they have a second project, a large copper molly project, advanced stage as well which is an after-tax NPV of over $400 million US. 
But the best part of this company is that its market cap is $10 million Canadian, and they have cash of $10 million, meaning the market is assigning zero value to these two assets I mentioned, especially one which is producing $8 million in operating profit. So in my view, that is rarely seen in capital markets where a company, profitable company is staying is is um, trading close to cash. That's one. Second one I would talk about is um, I like lithium. Even though EV metals are expected to correct, prices are expected to correct this year, I feel I'm very bullish on EV metal juniors because large battery manufacturers, miners, technology companies are actively looking to acquire juniors who can produce long-term stable sources of EV metals. So I'm bullish on juniors, but not necessarily metal prices. And there, uh, lithium, I want to mention a company called Lithium Chile, brand new project in Argentina. They just came up with a resource estimate late last year, and they're coming up with a new resource estimate in the coming months. So that's uh, another story we are strongly monitoring. So do you think the lithium boom can continue? You know, it's been red hot, um, especially in the last, let's say, two weeks. You know, we've seen companies around, you know, Patriot um, that have just gone through the roof. And and so do you think this can continue? Metal prices, I don't think so. If you look at just uh, just the metal prices, most of the, I mean, they used to trade at $5,000 per ton, $6,000 a ton for lithium carbonate, LCE. It ran up to $80,000, $90,000 a ton, and now it's about $70,000. Most of the PEAs are done based on ten dollars to $15,000 a ton, and still the NPV, you get billions, you know, in billions of dollars. But I don't think $70,000 a ton is sustainable, so I do feel there, is, there should be correction. But the market for juniors should remain hot based on the reason I mentioned earlier due to M&A. Any company that is able to delineate a decent-sized resource uh, attractive uh, PEA or a feasibility study could be a potential acquisition target, especially in a safe jurisdiction. And what would you say is a decent-sized resource? Well, anything uh, that could provide a mine life of at least 20 years. Okay. Uh, so 20 years in production and uh, a reasonably attractive jurisdiction should be favorable in these markets. And, and is there any preference like brine versus hard rock? No, not really, because um, it's difficult to kind of come out and generalize and say brine is better, hard rock is better. Every commodity or every project has its own characteristics. You know, some brines are obviously lower costs, uh, but then they can also be very low grades. Lower costs is in lower capex to production, but they can also be in very low grades. So it's difficult to generalize, but um, we are looking at both types of projects. Um, so just before we end here, I, I was wondering if we could do, uh, uh, so the response would just be bullish or bearish, and it would be the outlook for 2023. And so I've got a list of metals. Are you game? Oh, for sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start. We'll say copper. Bearish. Well, you're going to get a lot of bearish from me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll, 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 yeah. So bearish. Yes. Lithium. Bearish on the metal price, but bullish on juniors, active for the, the you know, equities. Oil. Bearish. Platinum. Uh, bearish. Palladium. Bearish. Rare earths. See, I'm that, it's difficult to kind of, it's wide spectrum. It is. Uh, it is. So I, 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 I wouldn't want to make a comment on the entire sector. Okay. I, I would just say, um, maybe I don't know enough of those, so I would say neutral. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uranium. Uh, bullish. Nickel. Nickel, I'm, I'm very bullish on nickel juniors equities, but not on the actual metal prices. 
is that driven by what's going on with Indonesia and their their ability to supply nickel mat to the the world? Is that is that the root of it? Well, in terms of um, collection prices, the market is already uh, in a supply was in a supply surplus last year, and this surplus is expected to increase uh, partly because of the Indonesian. So the lower demand from slower GDP and increased production is why we think a correction is due. But nickel is so important for EV batteries. You know, even one of our clients uh, recently, Giga Metals, uh, they have a huge project in BC. Uh, Mitsubishi uh, went in. And this project gave a negative NPV a few years ago when they did a PEA based on $8 or something per pound nickel. Mitsubishi came in and acquired a 15% interest in this project just a few months ago. So I strongly feel that large nickel projects should do very well in the coming 12 months. Okay. Gold? Very bullish. Silver? Bullish, yes. Excellent, excellent. Okay, Sid, I really appreciate the the time and the comments. You some really good points on the metals markets. Where can people find you? So researchfrc.com. Company name is Fundamental Research. We also have a YouTube channel, Fundamental Research Corp. But uh, I encourage you to start with our platform, researchfrc.com. Check out some of our sample reports. See is, is that something that you like? We have options for free and paid subscription. I would suggest start with free. Check out see if that's something that you like, and then uh, you can choose how to move forward from that. Very good. Very good. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much, uh, Brian, again. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.